Good to good to see you guys. A, a a big hello from me. I've really been excited about this series, and I think you and I can all agree that this world is pretty obsessed with superheroes, right? These men and women that have like these special abilities, like, and they get it in different ways. You know, some get bit by a spider, some <laughs> fall into a vat of toxic waste. Some are born with this ability to fly or control minds or with super strength, right? It's like dominating our TV and our movies. All you see everywhere is superheroes. And, and I think it really shows how hungry this world is for a higher power. Like how hungry this world is for, for someone or something just to save them. And it's so fascinating to me because at the very same time as we see this hunger for power in our world, we also see the world rejecting the only true high power. At this very same time, we see them rejecting the only one who can give them supernatural abilities, the only one who can give them power, right? Isn't that crazy? Because let me remind you, all the heroes you might be following or all the movies all the things that Marvel is putting out and DC's putting out, let me remind you, it ain't real. Those stories aren't real. In fact, the only source of real superheroes, the only material that contains real men and women doing supernatural things is the Word of God. The Bible is the only book. Guys, it's the only one. In this book, we see men and women filled with supernatural power to do supernatural things. It's in this book, we see men and women with the ability to part seas and walk on water and call fire down from heaven. It's in this book, we see men and women with supernatural knowledge and wisdom and the ability to speak many different languages. It all happens in here and it's real. And we've got to remember when we're reading this, this isn't like a comic book. This is history. These things happened. So the only true book with real superheroes is the Bible, right? And there are many that are famous. And today we're going to be looking at one of the most famous superheroes from the Bible by the name of Samson. Now, as we start looking at detail into Samson's life, you're going to realize that maybe he isn't really a hero after all. Samson is more like an anti-hero, right? Which is like kind of popular. That's kind of trending in our society to do movies on anti-heroes. These guys, that they're heroes, but they're flawed. They make mistakes and they fail, but they still end up doing some good. Samson, he's like the king of anti-heroes, right? We're going to see God do something in and through his life. We're going to see him mess up. We're going to see this is a really complicated, intricate kind of character, and like any good hero, he has an origin story. And Samson's origin story starts in the book of Judges, chapter 13. And we're going to pick it up from verse 2. It says, there was a certain man of Zora, of the tribe of Danitus, whose name was Manoah, not Moana. His name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children, so she couldn't have any kids. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, and he said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive, and you shall bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. 
For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. We see God coming through on this promise. She does bear a son, and we see here in verse 24 and 25, it says, And the woman bore a son and named him Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Everyone say the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. What we see is that Samson's parents took a Nazarite vow. Now, this was a vow that many took in Scripture. And this included three different things. The first part of the Nazarite vow was that they wouldn't cut their hair, right? They all looked like they belonged in a Maybelline commercial, right? It's just like... <laughs> Tresemme, right? So that they wouldn't cut their hair. The other part of the vow was that they wouldn't touch anything alcoholic. They wouldn't even touch the produce or the product or the origin of anything intoxicating. No alcohol. They wouldn't touch the grapes like it was off limits. Then the third part is they wouldn't touch anything dead. They would make them unclean if they touched anything, any corpse, any dead thing. Now, in Scripture, we see many men and women taking the Nazarite vow voluntarily, but there are three people in Scripture who were told to take the vow, who were given this vow by God. The one is Samuel, the other is John the Baptist, and the third is Samson. So he's right up there. That's kind of the class he's in. This is the kind of call that God has on his life. There is clearly God has set him out. In fact, part of this vow was to consecrate these men and women. Everyone say consecrate. It just means we're going to set ourselves apart for God's purpose, for his work. That's why we take this vow, to set ourselves apart for the work of God. And so even though Samson was chosen, what we're going to see is that he's got some real character issues. Like he's a flawed man. <laughs> we're going to see that even though Samson was strong physically, he was really weak spiritually. He was a man weak in character. And we're going to start seeing this play out in the next chapter in Judges 14. And let's read together from verse 1. We assume Samson's grown up a little bit. He's probably like a late teenager now. And it says this from verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, Oh, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our, our people that you must go and take a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to the father, get her for me. She is right for my eyes. Woo. Mm. What's happening here? We see Samson going to Timnah. Now Timnah is enemy territory. It's Philistine territory. And how many of you know, if you go to the wrong places, you'll end up with the wrong people. In fact, we're going to see this pattern play out again and again in Samson's life. He goes to the wrong places. He ends up with the wrong people. And the same is going to be true for you and me. If you want to be with the right people, put yourself in the right places. So he goes and he sees this Philistine woman. And he thinks, ooh la la. You can imagine Samson thinking, like, this is love at first sight. But they hadn't even had a conversation. So we know this was not love at first sight. This was lust at first sight, right? 
So he looks at this woman and he's like, I have to make that babe my wife. Like, wow. And he goes to his dad and he asks the dad, as was customary, he asked the dad to arrange for them to get married, but the parents were resisting this. Why? Well, because they knew in Deuteronomy 7 and Exodus 34, they, they knew the scripture, the command of God. God was saying, I'm going to lead your families into that land and give that, you, that land to you. But when I do, do not be given in marriage with those people, with the foreign nations, and don't give your sons in marriage to those daughters because those daughters will lead their hearts away from me. Those daughters will lead your sons away from the only one true God. And so they were resisting this. But Samson pushed back and said, no, I want want her anyway. You can almost hear Samson's like arrogance. He's like, she's too pretty to turn down. Like she's good on the eyes, right? And then notice what happens in verse four. It says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For, for the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, if you have your Bible and you're not scared to make some notes, I hope you're not, you can just circle those words. It was from the Lord. You know what we see happening here? Is that God is using Samson in spite of himself. Like Samson, he's, he's in the wrong place and he's doing the wrong thing. And God is finding a way to even use Samson's bad decisions to his advantage, as God does. And it turns out, guys, we have two choices. The one is to allow God to rule over us, to submit ourselves to God. And I believe that was God's heart for Samson. God wanted Samson to be obedient, to follow him. But if, if you don't allow God to rule you, well, God can then just overrule you. He does it here. He uses all of Samson's bad decisions and bad choices and failures. He uses it anyway to his advantage. Even this bad decision to marry a foreign woman, he's using it to his advantage. God will accomplish his will in your life with you or in spite of you. And what happens next is is really interesting. It tells us that Samson went on a journey and he went through a vineyard. Everyone say a vineyard. Now, why is the Bible including that detail? Well, let me remind you of the Nazarite vow. Part of this vow was that they wouldn't be given to anything, any wine. In fact, it was so extreme that they weren't allowed to eat grapes or raisins. And here Samson decides to take a journey through the vineyard. In other words, he's purposely putting himself in a place of temptation. Why is he doing that? He's making it hard for himself to fulfill this vow. Right, anytime he's hungry, he, would just, he could just easily just reach out and grab a bunch of grapes. Hopes no one notices. Why is he putting himself in this place of temptation? And I've got to ask the question to us, why do we? How often don't we put ourselves in this place of temptation? We're like, you know what, we're not going to sleep together anymore. But then we hang out till early hours of the morning, alone at home on the couch or in the bedroom. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to have an affair with that person. But you keep WhatsApping them and checking in on them every day to see how they're doing. But how often don't we, we say, I, I am not, I, I, I don't want to do that. But then we hang out in the land of temptation. And we kind of have this attitude like Samson. That was Samson's attitude was this. How much can I get away with and have God still be okay with me? Like how far can I go before God notices all minds? 
Oh, guys, if that is your heart, I want to say, you are in dangerous territory. We're going to see how that completely derails Samson's life, and it will derail your faith as well. Our heart attitude should not be, God, how much can I get away with before you notice? Our heart attitude should be, God, how much, how, how much can I give you? Not, not what's the most I could get away with, but what's the most I could give you, Lord? Like, how extreme can I go? Like, God, nothing's at the table. How far can I go? What's the furthest I can go with you? That should be the attitude of our heart. It was not the attitude of Samson's heart. He's here in the vineyard. And guess what happens next? Because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. A lion attacks him. Now, doesn't this just sound so familiar? I want to say, guys, when you put yourself in the land of temptation, you give the devil, the one who prowls around like a roaring lion, the Bible tells us, looking who he can devour, you give him the opportunity to do so. Samson is in the wrong place. He's in the vineyard as a Nazarite. He should never have been there. And now he's attacked by a lion. And he's about to show us the only hope you have when you're in the land of temptation, being attacked by the devil, the only hope you have is going to be the Spirit of God. The only thing that can help you when you put yourself in that position, the only thing that can really get you out of it is going to be the Spirit of God, the strength of God. We see God doing this with Samson, and we're going to read together in verse 6. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I've never torn a young goat. Can we get that up there, verse 6? But apparently the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he was able to tear this lion into pieces. Isn't that crazy? So much strength from the Lord. And guys, I find God so gracious here because Samson had put himself in the wrong place. He was only there. Because he was being disobedient, he had gone off the path, and still the Spirit of the Lord saves him. Still the Spirit of the Lord, isn't this crazy, fills him with power and helps him get out. Isn't that great that we know that even when we mess up, the Spirit of the Lord does not give up on us. Even when we get it wrong, the Spirit of the Lord can still help us and give us strength. And when you are overcome with temptation and the devil is attacking you, I want you to know, cry out to the Spirit of the Lord for help. He will help you cry out to him. He will give you the strength. And so he kills this lion. He goes on his journey. Scripture tells us then when he returns home, he goes on the same path through the vineyard again. And what does he come across on his way back? The dead lion. And what had happened? Well, in the dead lion, little bees had come and made their home. There was a bee's nest and honey. And so Samson now tempted He's tempted by what looks sweet and good. In the land of temptation, he's now tempted by honey. It's a new temptation disguised. He reaches down and he takes honey, and what does he touch on the way? Something dead. Violating another Nazarite vow. In fact, that vow was so extreme. Listen, as a Nazarite, you couldn't even be near a corpse. Even if it was a close family member, even if it was a child or a parent or something, you wouldn't go to the funeral. It was, a, it was an incredibly sacrificial vow to make. Here he is playing, he's putting his hands into the corpse of the lion, and it just shows how, how he's being degraded, right? I mean, he, he's just losing all integrity. He, he's become ceremonially 
defiled because he touched a dead thing. He's become relationally defiled because of how he's treating his parents. He's becoming morally defiled because of how he's looking at this woman and lusting after her. There's just a corruption within, within Samson. And yet, if you had looked at him, you would have still thought he was a perfect Nazarite. Right? Because from the outside, he looked holy. He kept all this hidden. He didn't tell anyone what he was doing. If you had looked at him, you would have seen him with his tresemme hair. You would have seen him what it looked like he was obeying the law, but inside there was a weakness. There was a struggle. And I think a lot of us can relate to that because that can be part of our Christian experience. I think that's why Christians often have a reputation for being hypocrites because it's easy to one moment look like we're holy. You know, we're coming to church with our Bible in our arms and singing the right songs. But inside, there's a struggle. There's a distance from God. There's a doubt. There's a worry. There's a challenge. But we keep it to ourselves like Samson. And I want to say, if you find yourself in that position where your inside is struggling and you're putting on this facade of Christianity, please stop. I want to encourage you, please, 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 go and speak to someone. Speak to a trusted Christian friend. Speak to a counselor. Speak to a pastor. Just... Try get what's happening inside, your struggles and your thoughts. Get it out so they can be dealt with, right? That, that's, the way we, that's where we get freedom for it. You don't have to stay in this place of struggling and, and denial and, and hurt. Go find someone and get it out. Look at someone and say, get it out of you. So Samson, he doesn't do this, right? He goes on living this hypocritical life. We're going to see it is not good for him. But he ends up getting the woman he wanted. Woohoo! Right? The hot wife. And so they throw a wedding feast. In fact, the Bible says that they throw a bachelor's party as young men in those days tended to do. If you read between the lines, it's saying he's getting wasted. Like he is, this is a party. And again, he's violating the other vow, not drinking anything that was intoxicating. Total disregard for this vow, this promise to God. So here we're going to find him at the wedding, getting wasted. And there's 30 guests invited to this wedding. These aren't people that Samson really knows. We get the impression that he kind of lost his friends or that they weren't in support of this relationship. So they they invite 30 Philistines off the street to come be part of this wedding feast. And it says this in verse 12. Samson said to them, let me put a riddle now to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of this feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, okay, put your riddle that we may hear it. And here's the riddle he gave them. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Do you know what he's referring to? The little honeypot in the lion. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days of the seven days, those guests could still not solve the riddle. Now, this was, by the way, something very common and customary in those days. was very common and customary for a wedding feast to last seven days. And very often in those seven days, the bridegroom and some of the, the, the party, they would pitch riddles to each other. It was like a game of wit. 
Right, so this wasn't uncommon to do. But what was really weird about what Samson did is he was making light of his own sin. You realize that? I mean, it's one thing to disobey God, but here he is just flippantly making a joke about it, making a game out of his sin, making a riddle about his sin. And guys, I mean, I know sometimes we've done that in order to try and make ourselves feel better about our sin, right? We laugh it off. We make these kind of flying comments about it. And we make jokes about it. And, you know, we just talk about it as if it's nothing. We, we're trying to minimize our own sin sometimes in our own hearts. It's like this defense mechanism, the spiritual defense mechanism. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Samson's doing this. He's made a game out of his disobedience. And the guests, they're trying to figure out what this riddle means. And Samson didn't quite realize the 30 guys that he had invited were not good guys. On day three, they're so frustrated, they go to his soon-to-be wife, and they threaten her with her life. And they say, if you don't tell us the answer to this riddle, we're going to kill you and your dad. Woo! So now she's frantic. She doesn't know the answer to the riddle. So she goes to Samson and says, Samson, you've got to tell me, you've got to tell me. He's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. You've got to tell me, you've got to tell me. The Bible says that she cries for seven days. Now, Samson might have been the strongest man on earth, but he had no defenses for that kind of teary manipulation, right? Like he might have been strong, but who can withstand a crying woman for seven days? Can all the men say amen? <laughs> like this here, he had no chance, really. So eventually, under the pressure of this woman, he cracks and he breaks, and he tells her what the answer is, and she runs to those people, in order to just try to save her life and her family's life, she goes and tells them the answer to the riddle. They come to Samson and they're like, we know the answer to the riddle. And Samson is mad because he knows exactly how they found out. Now, I want to read to you his response. There's a word in here, a heifer. A heifer is a cow that hasn't yet had babies. And listen to what Samson says to these people in response. He says in verse 18, and he said to them, if you had not plowed my heifer, you would not have had found out my riddle. He calls a soon-to-be wife a cow. I think it's safe to say that things were not going well for Samson. His wife cried for seven days of his honeymoon. There's people that want to kill his wife and his father-in-law, and he's just called his new wife a cow. Not good. And now he's in debt, right? Because <laughs> they found out the answer to the riddle. So he owes them 30 garments of clothing. So what does he do? Samson, in anger and frustration, he runs to a nearby town and he kills 30 people. And he takes their clothing off their dead corpses. Complete disregard for life, for holiness, for obedience to God, for his vows. He's just becoming more and more morally corrupt. He goes back home with these 30 garments of clothing from dead people. His father-in-law finds out what he did and now refuses to give his daughter away in marriage. And instead, <laughs> listen to this, he gives his daughter to the best man at the wedding. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> this is like Jerry Springer level show. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, so Samson gets back from killing 30 people with his garments 
Now we find out his, his supposedly wife is now married to the best man. And you can imagine, I mean, this guy had a rage issue. This did not go down well. So what does Samson do? He goes and collects 300 foxes. And he ties their tails together, two at a time with cord. Then he lights the cord and he starts sending out the foxes into the wheat fields and the olive groves. And these foxes start burning. And obviously they're frantic. They're running all over the place. And what are they doing in the meantime? They're burning everything down. And so he burns down the crops of the Philistines. I mean, quite a disgusting and hurtful thing to do to those foxes, right? He's just mad. But he's picking a war because now the Philistines are mad that their crops are gone. So they, they want revenge now. He's just made the situation way worse. So they go find his supposedly wife and they kill her. They burn her. And then they go find her father and they burn him. And then they go on a hunt for Samson. And they catch him. And they bind him. Now scripture says that in this place again, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him power. If there's one thing we can learn from Samson's life, is the spirit gives power. Look at someone and say, the spirit gives power. So he breaks free of their bonds. And he picks up, the Bible says, a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he starts attacking the Philistines and he kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a single donkey. You talk about superhero stuff. This is one guy with the jawbone of a donkey, something that's dead, by the way. Again? And he kills a thousand men. That's how strong he was. Right, and so we just see this complete degrade of Samson. He, he continually put himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, mixed with the wrong people, made decisions that were complete defiance from God, and we can see what happens when we do that. His life's a mess, and guess what? It's about to get worse. <laughs> this is where his life now turns even for the worse, and he falls in love with another woman. This is part of the story that maybe you were told in Sunday school, and this woman's name is Delilah. Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. What's it like? Delilah, right? Now, Delilah was sketchy. She was a dodgy woman. And guess what? She was also a Philistine. Again, he falls for it again. These people that he's picked a war with. He falls in love with this Philistine woman. They, they know she's dodgy, so they make a deal with her behind the scenes. And they say, can you figure out the secret to his strength, because if you can, we're going to pay you big. We're going to give you lots of money. And she agrees. And so Samson here is in this relationship with this woman. Again, he shouldn't be in a relationship with. And guys, don't get confused. Samson didn't have a problem with women. He had a problem with God. He didn't have a problem with women. He had a problem with putting God in his right place, putting God as Lord of all, submitting to God's lordship. So here he is, and his wife, well, this woman, Delilah, she wants to know how's he so strong. And so she asked this question in Judges 16, verse 6. It says, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. I mean, come on. 
Does he not see the red flags? I mean, it might be one thing to say, well, just tell me where your strength comes from. But she's like, tell me where your strength comes from so that one might bind you, so that one might subdue you. I mean, really. I mean, he's just so blinded. Can you just see so blinded by this relationship? And, and she wants to know, where's your strength come from? And what we see is Samson kind of toys her along. He gives her these false answers. He first says, well, if you tie me with bowstring, the string of a bow, I'll lose all my power. And guess what happens? The next morning he wakes up and he's bound with the string of the bow. And Delilah shouts, oh, Samson, the Philistines. And he wakes up and he just breaks free. He's got the strength of the Lord and he defeats the Philistines. Now you would think he would be like, hey, Delilah, I told you about this bow thing. And I woke up the next morning, what's going on? But instead, she manipulates the entire thing and she turns it right back on him and she says, Samson, you lied to me. You liar. You clearly don't love me because then you wouldn't lie to me. I mean, he should have said, well, you clearly don't love me. Then you wouldn't have tried to kill me. But he doesn't. Have you ever known people that are able to just twist any situation to their advantage? She just seems like such a manipulator, right? He just, she makes... She makes Samson believe she's the victim. Crazy, isn't it? So here he is, and he tells her another story. He says, well, if you just bind my arms with fresh rope, new rope, then I'm subdued. I'm weak like a man. So he wakes up the next day, <laughs> and he's bound with fresh ropes. And she screams, oh, Samson, the Philistines. And he breaks free of the ropes, and he defeats him. And you know what she does? She looks at him and she says, you liar. You lie to me. You don't love me. And Samson stays in the relationship. He stays in this emotionally abusive relationship. He doesn't go. So he tells her another lie. He says, listen, Delilah, if you plait my hair, getting a bit closer to the truth. If you plait my hair, <clears throat> I'll lose all my strength. He wakes up the next day. <laughs> And his hair's plaited. And she screams, Samson, the Philistines. Right? And he just defeats them. And now she's livid. She is mad. She's looking at him. How dare you? You don't love me. In fact, we're going to see her response in verse 15. She said to him, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times with us. And you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. You know that you can be in that kind of relationship where your, your soul gets vexed to death. This is the area of your mind and your emotions. You can't think straight. You, you don't know what to feel anymore. You're so confused by the truth and reality. That's where Delilah had Samson. We thought that he was a strong one, but look at what this woman was able to do in his life. Maybe you know people who can't see reason. They're in these toxic relationships, right? And for you, the truth is so clear, and it's so you can see the red flags, but they just, they're blinded by the manipulation. That's the relationship that he had with Delilah. And so he told her all his heart. Listen, if you're going to trust anyone with the truth, it should not be Delilah. Like, I mean, every time he told her, he woke up in that position. And here it says, and he told her all his heart, and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, 
For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I'll become weak and be like any other man. Samson tells her the truth. It says that he fell asleep on her lap. We get the impression that maybe he was drunk and he passed out. And while he's on her lap, she calls someone to come and shave his head. And the next morning she screams, Oh, Samson, the Philistines! This time he jumps up and he thinks he's going to defeat them like every other time, but suddenly he is weak like any other man. They catch him, they bind him, and they gouge out his eyes. Then they take him and they put him in a mill. A mill is this place, it's like a stone circle where you would push this big log in order to grind the wheat and the corn. This would be a place where the oxes or sometimes the donkeys would normally work. <laughs> Remember what he killed them with? You want to kill my man with a donkey, we'll put you by the donkeys. They took out the animals, they put Samson to work in the mill in the place of the livestock. And here we find Samson, this man chosen by God from birth, anointed with the spirit, filled with the strength now defeated and blind. So much potential lost. The story just looks so sad. It looks hopeless in that situation, right? But the story's not done yet. There comes a time where the Philistines throw a feast for their God called Dagon. And about 3,000 Philistines gather in the temple to honor this God of Dagon. And it says this in Judges 16.25, when their hearts were merry, in other words, when they were drunk, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. It's interesting, Samson now becomes a source of humiliation. He becomes like the court gesture. They were like, hey, well, like we're having this feast. Let's show everyone how strong Dagon is. Let's, let's get our most formidable enemy, the one who was strong. Let's show everyone how now he's weak and pathetic and his eyes are gouged out. He's blinded by us. So they put him between these two pillars. And at one last moment, he says to this boy in verse 26, and Samson said to this young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I, may, that I may lean against them. And so we see him putting his hands on these pillars, one on his right, one on his left. And in verse 28, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please remember me and give me the strength only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which this house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let the Philistines die. Let, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who had killed his whole life. Sure. What an incredible end. What I find fascinating is, remember in verse 4 where it said the Lord was going to use this to accomplish his purpose? 
And we see that the Lord used every single one of Samson's failures, his bad decisions, in order to still put him where he needed to be and do what he was designed to do. And it turns out, God, guys, even when we fail, God can use us to his advantage. And, and look, that's not an invitation to fail God. But it's to say that even when we do, God doesn't give up on your story. <laughs> God has a way to use all these things it tells us in Romans, to use everything for his good, for his purposes. Everything in our lives. Every failure, you might look back in your life and say, well, that failure has discounted me. That wrong decision means God will not use me anymore. That mistake means I'm definitely out of the game, but it turns out you're not. God has a way of using those exact things to his advantage and to his glory. He can use those exact things to still accomplish in your life what you were designed for. Isn't that incre- crazy? It's, just, it's incredible what God can do. He took all of Samson's mistakes and he still accomplished what he wanted to do with Samson's life. And here we find Samson between these two pillars. And for the first time in this whole story, he's praying. And this whole time we haven't seen him pray. We've seen him live with arrogance, taking this power for granted. But now in humility, he's praying. And what's he praying for? He's praying for the Spirit of God to give him power. He prays earnestly, Spirit of God, fill me with power. And what happens as he prays it? God responds and fills him with power. The Spirit gives power, and that same Spirit gives us power today. Do you know that in the New Testament, you and I are told to pray that same prayer, a prayer like Samson. You and I are told to pray this prayer where we ask for the Holy Spirit's power to fill us. Because guess what, guys? God wants to do supernatural things through you too. It tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth, God wants to fill you with his power. That's what Pentecost Sunday is about. It's about this moment where the disciples were praying in the upper room. They were praying like Samson for the power of God to come and he came in the room like a mighty wind and tongues of fire landed on their heads. There was a sign that now the temple of God was mankind. And he filled them with power and supernatural things started happening to those disciples. And he invites us to pray that same prayer so supernatural things can happen to us. And I don't know what might happen. Maybe next time you pray for someone, they get healed. Sometimes it's prayers of faith. Sometimes it's speaking of tongues. Sometimes it's signs and wonders and miracles. But we know God wants to bless you with something, give you some kind of power. And in scripture, this is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is this earnest prayer from us to God where we say, God, would you please fill me with your power? Listen, you have the presence of God from the time you're saved. The Holy Spirit makes his home in you at salvation. But there's something more than just the presence of God you can ask for. You can also ask for the Holy Spirit's power to activate supernatural giftings in you. And so I want to invite you today to join Samson in that prayer. And say, Holy Spirit, will you fill me with power? And maybe you feel like you don't deserve it. Like, hey, that kind of thing's only reserved for those special Christians, the ones who get it right, the ones who are perfect at everything. Listen, there is no such thing. 
There are no Christians who always get it right, who are perfect at everything. They don't exist. Then the Holy Spirit would fill no one. But if he could fill Samson, can we admit that he's not like the perfect guy? And he makes lots of mistakes and he disobeys God and he's disrespectful to his parents and he murders people and he has anger problems. If he could fill Samson, he'll fill you. All he wants you to do is ask. And so I want to pray with you this morning. Can you close your eyes? In fact, can you stand to your feet for me? With every eye closed, there's two questions I want to ask you today. The first is this. Maybe, maybe you've been playing too much in the vineyard and the lion's been attacking you and taking you out. Perhaps you are playing with temptation. Maybe, maybe you're like Samson. On the outside, you look strong, but inside there's weakness and there's doubt and there's struggle and you feel far from God. And you know, you're going through the motions. You're, you're here, you're watching. So you're trying, but inside you just feel far from God. Well, I believe God wants to restore your soul. I believe God wants to draw you in. I believe He wants you to bring what is inside of you out. He wants you to escape the land of temptation, to get out of those habits, to get out of those things you're doing so that the lion stops attacking you. So that you, I want to pray for you right now. God, I want to thank you for strength from your spirit. Your word shows us, God, that it's only your spirit that can really save us in those moments. God, I pray for every dry heart, for everyone far from you, for everyone feeling empty, Holy Spirit, fill them with your power. Fill them with your power. Holy Spirit, we long for you. I pray you restore love. God, restore devotion. Bring people back to their first loves, Lord. Holy Spirit, those who are just playing in the vineyard, they're just playing with temptation. Father God, give them the strength to walk out Give them the strength to stop. Holy Spirit, remind them. Remind them of your goodness. Remind them that there's a better way. Thank you, Lord. I believe there's another group of you in this room who you want to pray that prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with His power. And I can't think of a better day to pray this than on Pentecost Sunday. I believe there's some of you in this room that today... You want to be baptized in the Spirit, where you say, Holy Spirit, I'm open. Come and fill me with your power. Use supernatural gifts through me. And if that is you, we want to spend time in prayer with you. So with every eye closed, if that's a prayer you want to pray, can you lift your hand and just leave it raised? Thank you. Thank you. Just leave it up. Leave it raised. There's people all over this room going to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I love it. Now, we don't want to rush this. What we want to do is spend time in prayer with you. So everyone with their hands raised, I want you to follow Nikki out the room. You'll find her at that exit over there. And the rest of us, as they walk out, can we give them a hand? Don't be shy, let's do this. You guys can go. Follow Nikki. Woo! So good to see. Man, I love what God is about to do in their lives. Let's continue to celebrate what God's doing, guys. Yeah. I don't know if there's going to be anyone left. And for those of us who stay behind, the band is going to minister to us in song. And as they do, um, if you're still feeling like you want to be baptized in the Spirit, you're welcome at any time to still go to the chapel. So let's praise God for the work He's done and for the fact that the Holy Spirit is here. Amen.